really exciting day for many people, many families. Uh, we have great moms, great relationships with moms, uh, but also it can be a hard day for some, and I don't know if that's some here or not, but um, Mother's Day uh, can, be, can be a sad day for different reasons. But I uh, just wanted to know that you're, you're thought of today, and I uh, hope you can uh, celebrate and celebrate your mom if she's still with us. Um, and celebrate uh, those that are moms here. So, um, as we as we turn to uh, the book of Ruth, just wanted to give you a little recap of what we've looked at so far, and uh, we're going to be looking at Ruth chapter three today, and looking at this this promise of provision. And as we've seen the last few times we've looked at Ruth, um, first of all. Ruth was in this setting of the Old Testament where uh, there wasn't a king yet. And so they're looking, the, the people of, of Israel, they're in this, this time period where they're in the promised land. And so they have this promise. They've been waiting to come to this promised land, but they don't have, they're not living like people of, of promise, of, of people that are under the king, under the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And they're having a hard time with that. And, and, and through the whole book of Judges, right after Joshua, the whole book of Judges, we see this back and forth narrative of, of how people forgot about God. They did their own thing. They worshiped idols. And, they, and then God sent wake-up calls for them. And how God does that for us too. Sometimes we say, well, why, why are bad things happening? Or why are, well, maybe it's a wake-up call. And the people of Israel, they needed wake-up calls a lot. And this was in that time period of the Judges. And so this short little story of the book of Ruth is right in there. And it's before they have a king. And so uh, if you would open your Bibles to, to the book of Ruth, it's, like I said, it's right after Judges. It's, it's uh, still near the beginning of the Bible, after the, the first five books of the Bible, and then, and then Joshua Judges. So I think that's the, what, the eighth book. Um, and, and so we saw in Ruth that there's this family that have left... They've left the promised land. And while they were gone, the husband and both of the sons die. But they, before they, the sons die, they were married. And so, these, so there's this mom, uh, Naomi, and she had two daughter-in-laws. And, and so Ruth comes back, Ruth is a daughter-in-law, and she comes back to, to Bethlehem with Naomi. And this was, a, we saw a few weeks ago, this was kind of surprising, unexpected. Why did she do this? Well, she did this to, to show this, well, first of all, she was a Moabite, and Moabites were like, um, had a really bad reputation, had a really um, problem with the Israelites and Moabites, they were in conflict. And even we see this later in, the, in when, when King David is the king, and they go into fight against the Moabites. But anyway, so this Moabite woman comes back and she shows this compassion, this kindness, this loyalty. She shows this hesed, this loving kindness, really of pointing to who is loving kindness, and that is Jesus. And so she comes in and she cares, with, cares for her mother-in-law. And so there, there's a barley harvest that's happening. And so she goes out, and we saw this in Ruth chapter 2. She, she goes, and she says, I'm going to go out and try to, to see how, see 
what is happening, how we can have some, how we can just not starve. We're, we're here for this barley harvest, but let's go and find some food. And so we see in Ruth chapter 2 this, this provision, this unexpected provision that, that Ruth has in this encounter, this, this coincidence, or maybe God's providence, I would say, of this encounter with this very wealthy man named Boaz and how he provided this unexpected blessing for her, this unexpected provision. And that, that really points us to how God provides abundantly and unexpectedly sometimes, graciously, for those of us. And especially in, the, in that rescuing us from sin. So this kind of sets us up for, in Ruth chapter 3, and in Ruth uh, 3, we see right away, if we could go to Ruth 3, starting in verse 1, it says, And one day Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home. I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now, just, now keep in mind as we get into this chapter that, that for a while... Ruth has been being provided for in this field that she's been working in, in Boaz's field. Boaz has said, hey, Ruth, stay here and, and get, as, get all the provision you need in this field. And so there's a, this time period of this during this harvest, and he's, he's taking care of her. But now Naomi is saying, hey, there, there's, there's a time that we need, that this, this food maybe is going to run out. Even though he's provided a lot for her, she, she sees this, I want you to have a belonging. I want you to have a home. I want you not just to have food for a few months. I want you to have a security, a, a place to, to live and thrive. And so here, she's, she's saying, let's, let's figure this out. And so it says in verse 2 that now Boaz with the, whose women you've worked, is a relative of ours. So she reminds Ruth about Boaz, and she knows she's, he's been work, she's been working at Boaz's field. And so she says, tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. And so she gives her this plan. She says, in verse 3, wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes, and then go down to the, the threshing floor. And, but don't let him know that you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. And when he lies down, note where he's lying and go and uncover his feet and lie down. And he will tell you what to do. Now, this is kind of awkward. <laughs> uh, let's, just, let's just say that right now. It's awkward. Like, what, is it, what is the mother-in-law telling Ruth to do? She's telling him. And Now, there's different ways of looking at this, but most, most commentaries are saying he's, she's essentially telling her go tell Boaz, in this culture, go tell Boaz that I want to marry you. Okay? So she's kind of like, she's like kind of coming down and she's proposing, she's getting on her one knee, and maybe she has the ring, I don't know. But in their, in their culture, this was, this was like a proposal. This, there was not foul play involved. It, was, it seems risque, where, what's happening here, and, you know. But it seems like there's a lot of, it's good intention happening. Okay? And, and so... What Ruth says is, I will do whatever you say. I mean, what, what kind of answer is that? That's the answer of, 
I'm your servant, I'm helping you, I'm not the, I'm not the one that has all the plans, I'm not the one that is going to, that, know, that knows everything, I'm going to be submissive, I'm going to be humble, I'm going to do what you think is best. I think that's a great, great answer, great, it's a great posture. I mean, that points us right there to Jesus, where he, Jesus always was looking to his Father, always asking the Father, and always saying, whatever you want to do is what I'm going to do. And I think right there, that's, that's, if we're not sure sometimes, how do I live my life? How, what do I do? We, just, just, look, just pray that prayer to, to the Lord. I will do whatever you say. And we, and we can learn that from a, someone that's not even an Israelite. That's, that's someone that's outside of the promised land that's come in and this, this foreigner. But this is a, this picture, this really a posture of obedience. And so I, I want you to remember that. Ruth 3.5. Ruth 3.5. That's a really short verse there. But that's a great posture that we can remember and we can look to and pray as long as we're praying that to the Lord. We're not just saying that to whoever. Oh, whatever you say, I'll do. No, don't do that. <laughs> so in verse 6, it says that she went down to the threshing floor and did everything that her mother-in-law told her to do. And when Boaz had finished eating and drinking and he was in good spirits, he went down, he went over to lie down in the, the far end of the grain pile. And Ruth approached him quietly. She uncovered his feet and lay down. In the middle of the night, Something startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. And I'm sure he was very surprised, and he said, Who are you? Because, I mean, keep in mind, it's dark. You don't know who's, you can't just recognize, maybe. And so she said, I am your servant, Ruth. Not just I am Ruth. I'm not just the person that you might have met a little bit. She's like, I am your servant, Ruth. I am, I am the one that, will, that wants to do what you want. The one that is, has... Receive your blessing, and I, I have a posture of obedience too. And so here's her proposal. She said, she said to Boaz, spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of my family. Now, this is very different from our culture, we know. <laughs> I have not heard anyone do this. Actually, I've never heard of anyone doing this. Um, not just like in a long time, but you know, this is, this is not something that is part of what we do. We don't tell people to go lie down with each other and share blankets and stuff like that. That's, to me, that's actually, let's just not do that. That's, if you're not married, don't do that. Please don't do that. <laughs> because a lot of bad things can happen. A lot of temptations are there. But here, Ruth is, is asking this man, this noble man, this wealthy man, this man that's been providing for her and her mother-in-law, she's asking this question. She, she's asking out of, out of her need. Maybe a little bit out of her desperation. She knew, she knew that she can't provide for herself. She, she knew that he's been providing, he's been helping her, but she's following her mother-in-law's advice that she needs not just a few months of grain, a few months of bar. She, she doesn't just need a few months of food or a few weeks of food or a few days of food. She needs someone to provide for her. She needs someone that will give her a long-term home, a, a family. And so what I want us to think about here is that, first of all, Ruth could not 
provide for herself on her own. She couldn't provide. She couldn't bring what she needed. She had to find a way. And actually, it wasn't that she had to find a way. It's that she's listening to her mother-in-law, Naomi. She's listening and following the directions of her mother-in-law. And she couldn't do it on her own. But she had this a very submissive, very obedient posture. And Ruth, she had this desperation. She had this need. And I think we all have that need too. I think we have the same kind of need. Now maybe it's not for food. Maybe it's, it's that you're, maybe you're looking for a career. Maybe you're looking, you have different hopes and desires. But I think our biggest need is that we can't provide salvation for ourselves. And I, I know sometimes we kind of try to do it. Now we don't probably tell people we do that. But we kind of just like act like, if I'm a good person, if I, if I make a lot of good choices, if I just don't cuss very much, or if I just don't fall into these sins, and I just live a little bit better than, and I just look a little better than, than the other person, then, then I'll be fine. When the end comes, when, when I die, or when, whenever that is, surely if there's a God, surely if there's a good God, He's going to see me and see, yeah, this guy's good. Unfortunately, that is a very false narrative. And if that's the way that, that you have lived, or maybe you have lived before, you've thought, I'm sorry to tell you, but that is not reality. There, there is no one that's good, not even one. And it doesn't matter if we live a really, really great life, do a lot of really, really good things, that doesn't earn salvation because it says in the Bible that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that we, ha- we can't do anything to save ourselves. We have the- there's this huge gap between us and God because of sin. And so there's nothing that we can do that will provide salvation for ourselves. And I know sometimes we try. Maybe, maybe we're not in that sense where we're, we're, we're thinking, oh yeah, well I can, I can probably be good enough. Maybe, maybe we're in a place where we've said, hey, I trust Jesus. Or I did trust Jesus at one time in my life, and so that I'm good now. I don't, I don't need any more help from Jesus. I, I can live my life the way I need to live my life, the way I want to live my life. I got my ticket to heaven. I said a prayer. Jesus saves me. Now I'm going to live my, how I want. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That doesn't work either. And it's not because it doesn't work for me. It says that Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, there's going to be people that say, Lord, Lord, we did this in your name. We did this in your name. And Jesus says, I don't know you. And he's talking about, he's talking about at the final judgment. He says, I don't know you. And of course, he knows each person. So he's not saying, I don't have any idea who you are. He said, I don't have a relationship with you. And I, and, I, and I don't want anyone to be scared about that. But the fact is, if we have accepted Jesus as our, as our Savior of our life, if we said, Jesus, you are the Lord of our life, if we, are, if 
we are asking Jesus to save us, but we never do anything more than that, or not much more than that. I know it's not about doing, so don't hear me say it's about doing all these things, but it's about having a relationship with Jesus. And when we are in a relationship with Jesus, the old is gone and the new has come. And our hearts are not for what they used to be. Their hearts are for Jesus alone. And our hearts are being transformed, being made, made new, being more and more like Jesus, abiding in Him. And so I know we're like, well, where is this? what's this have to do with Ruth? <laughs> what's this have to do with Ruth? We're talking about Ruth here. Ruth was this foreigner. She was this widow. She had no chance on her own in this promised land, this place of Bethlehem, the house of bread. She had no chance on her own. And so she needed this, she needed salvation. She needed someone to provide for her. She needed someone to be her redeemer. And so that might be a little confusing here. What is this in this verse 9 when she's asking, you know, spread your, your garment over me since you, are, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. You know, uh, it says in the footnote of, of the NIV, it says the word for guardian redeemer, or you could say kinsman redeemer in some translations, it's a legal term for someone who has obligation to redeem a, a relative in a serious difficulty. So this is back in Leviticus where... Um, God set up this law so that when, when someone is in need and they don't have someone to provide for them, like a, a, specifically a widow, they can go and they can ask for someone closest to them and in, in relative to, be, to redeem them, to, to give them an inheritance, to give them, to buy them back into family uh, to, so that they would take care of this orphan, or the, sorry, this widow. And so here, she asked this question, will you provide for me? Will you take care of me? Will you be the redeemer of my family? And it was a vulnerable place for her. I mean, we just pause here between verse 9 and 10 for a while and just think about it. I mean, for all the guys that have asked their wife to marry them, you weren't sure 100%, I mean, maybe 99 point something percent, but like, you might have not been 100% sure when you got down on one knee and you asked that question. You, you're pretty sure, but I don't think Ruth was pretty sure here. I think Ruth was hopeful. I think Ruth was, was desperate. This was, this was the best chance she probably had, and Naomi had a plan, so she was going with it. And yeah, if this guy said yes, that would be so great. But if he said no, well, that's going to be awkward. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's always awkward if somebody says no to a proposal, especially like a marriage proposal. It's super awkward. Well, uh, no, uh, no. Okay. Well, well no, that's, that's not going to work. It's not going to work. Like the microphone. Will you marry me? Uh, no, if, if, it's, if it's not a yes, it's pretty awkward. And Ruth is here asking this question. Now, not literally, will you marry me? But she's asking, will you be my redeemer? Will you, 
Will you care for my family? Because I can't do it on my own. I know my mother-in-law can't do it on her own. We need a rescuer. We need a redeemer. We need someone that's going to help us, that's going to provide for us. We need a family, a place to belong. And maybe she thought, why would he do this for me? Why would he help me? Thank you. But I think she, she might have just thought, well, this is what I'm supposed to do. This is what my mother-in-law said. And if it's awkward and it doesn't work out, we'll figure out the next plan. But she is hopeful. She is... She's looking for this promise of provision. And so it says here in verse 10, he, he finally replies, probably didn't take that long, but he replies, he says, the Lord bless you, my daughter. He said, this kindness is greater than what you have showed earlier. You have not run after younger men, whether rich or poor, and now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. Clearly, right here, we can see he understood what she was saying. Okay, so in their culture, they, she said it, he understood it. Here we go. And he, he said, all the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Remember, he's this man, we see in the chapter 2, he, he's this man that, that is of, well, he's of, of noble character. He's this man that has a great reputation. He is wealthy, and, he, and not just because he's wealthy, but because he's well-respected. He's this great man. And, and it, he says, when essentially she's proposing, he says, you are a woman of great character. You are a woman that people have talked about and realized everyone should learn from you. In fact, the, the famous chapter of the Bible about in Proverbs 31, this, this woman of, of great and noble character, and that I know it's, it's a great passage for a lot of women because they're like, wow, that's really great. But at the same time, that can be a little crushing too. It's like, can I live up to this woman of, of like perfect standards? And by the way, you don't. By the, by the way, you don't. You, you live the way that Jesus is calling you to live and you say, I will do whatever you say and you live to glorify Him and, and you're going to take one day at a time. And... If you have noble character, that's amazing. And Ruth says, or Ruth is known here, even though she's only been here a few weeks. She's already known for having this noble character, this woman of valor. And says, although it is true that I am your guardian and redeemer of our family, Boaz says, there is another one who's more closely related than I. Now just pause here. He says, I know that I can be your guardian redeemer. I know I can, and I think he's saying I will, but he says he knows something. He knows, that may, he knows something that maybe Naomi didn't know, or definitely Ruth didn't know, that there's someone else that's actually closer than he. And so he doesn't actually have the right to redeem. He doesn't have the right to redeem without talking to this other person, giving them the chance to redeem her. But what he says here, 
He says, stay here for the night. And in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian and redeemer, good, let him redeem you. But if he's not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. Now, that, that, that might be a little awkward because you're like, will you marry me? Well, yes, if I can, but there's this other guy that could marry you, so let me go check with him first. Either way, either way, either way someone's going to marry you, either me or this other guy. I'm sure Ruth is like, oh, okay. <laughs> All right, well, at least I will have someone to marry me. <laughs> uh, who is this other guy? <laughs> but she's, she's in desperate need of someone to provide for her, to redeem her. And here she finds out the good news. The good news is, yes, someone's going to do it. Wait, which, which person? She doesn't know. <laughs> I think that's a little awkward. I don't know. Somebody will, but I hope it's, I hope it's you. Um, so it says here in verse 14 that she, laid, she obeyed him. She laid at his feet until morning, but before anyone could be, uh, before anyone could be, be recognized... And he said, no one must know that a woman came here to the threshing floor. Uh, because, so he got up. He didn't want people to see that. I guess that, that still could uh, bring up a lot of rumors and things. Uh, and so it said, he said to her in verse 15, bring me the shawl that you are wearing and to hold, on, hold out, hold it out. And so when she had this shawl, and so when she did, he poured into this shawl six measures of barley to be placed on her bundle. And then he went back to town. And, it, and so we saw earlier in, in Ruth chapter 2, he, he gave her one ephod of flour, and we found out that's about, it would, about 30 pounds of, of, the, of this uh, flour. And it would probably last about a month, month and a half, depending on how they used it. But now he's giving her six measures. I mean, first of all, I don't know how big that shawl was and how heavy it could, but that, that's a lot of, lot of food he's giving her. So he's saying, he's like, hey, I'm providing for you, whether it's me or this other guy, at least you're going to have six to nine months of provision here. At least you're going to have, you're going to have some more food here. And so he goes back to town. And it says in verse 16 that when Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi, and she asked, how did it go, my daughter? <laughs> I'm sure she's been wandering all night. And she told her everything that Boaz had done for her and added, he gave me these six measures of barley, saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. And Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens. For the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. Naomi knows there's this promise of provision. And this man, Boaz, is going to go find out, can I marry her or, are you, or this other guy, are you going to marry her? He, she knows that he's a man that, that wants to find out, is this, is this me or is this going to be you? And, she, and it, he's not going to wait around a long time. But Boaz here, he's willing to pay this price. He's willing to pay this price to be her guardian and redeemer. There's this, this price that he will, will pay. Whether it's, whether it's him or someone else, he wants to do it. He wants to be her redeemer. 
And even though she brings nothing to the table, she, she's this poor foreign woman. And Boaz is like the stark opposite where he's this man of noble character. He's this man of well reputa- good reputation. He's this man that has a lot of money and a good reputation and all these things. And even though she's bringing nothing, he still is willing to pay this price. And he made this promise of provision. But, you know, just it's, it's really neat to see that, that Boaz was willing to pay this price to be the guardian redeemer. But also, we see that Jesus, many years later, Jesus was willing to pay the price. He was willing to lay down his life to be our Redeemer. And I know we sang about it a lot this morning, our Redeemer. Jesus is the only one that can redeem. Now, Jesus doesn't have to go find someone else and say, can you, can you redeem them or do I have to? Or can I? It, it's Jesus or nothing. There, there's, the promise of provision is in Jesus alone. We don't have to wonder, is it going to be someone else? And I know the world will tell us, well, you know, you can, you can go to heaven and as long as you do this or as long as you believe this, as long as you have some good prayers, as long as you, as long as you live this way. You know, there's lots of ways that you can get to heaven. There's lots of ways that will bring salvation to you. But Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus said he doesn't leave any doubt. There's no one that can bring salvation except him. He is our Redeemer. There's no one else. We bring nothing to the table. It doesn't matter how good we are at different things. Yes, God will use our gifts and abilities. But it's not because I'm really good at this or you're really good at other things that God's going to say, oh yeah, I should redeem you. No. We, we bring nothing to the table. There's nothing we're going to add to Him. And Jesus willingly paid this price. This price was a, it was a costly price because Jesus, who lived this perfect life on earth, we think about 33 years. He lived showing us life, showing the people the way to God, the way of love, the way of turning the cheek. When someone hurts you, we don't just punch them back, we don't hurt them back. Jesus' way is unlike any other way. And the world says, no, when, you, when someone fights you, you, get, you take revenge, you get even. Jesus, that's not the way of Jesus. Jesus' way is the only way. Jesus bought us with a price. It says in, in 1 Corinthians 6 that we, we are bought with a price. Paul says, so, to honor God with your bodies. And we're temples of the Holy Spirit. Jesus willingly died. But as we heard this morning, he's not dead anymore. 
And he called us, he called us by our name. And we needed rescue, and our, our sin was heavy. And my chains break at the weight of your glory, we sang. I needed shelter. I was an orphan, but you call me a citizen of heaven. Our pain is nothing compared to his pain because his pain was costly. His pain, he willingly went to the cross and died for our sin. Our pain is, is, is nothing compared to that. Yes, we're going to have pain. We're going to have suffering. But his pain took the, he took the nails for us. He took the nails. He died a criminal's death. And he did it with love in his heart, with love on his, in his eyes, thinking about us, thinking about saving us while be, being fully surrendered and obedient to the Father, obeying Him even to the point of death. Who could imagine such, so great a mercy? And what heart could fathom such boundless grace? For the God of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame. The cross has spoken I am forgiven. The King of Kings calls me His own. Beautiful Savior, I'm yours forever. We sang this morning, Jesus Christ, my living hope. Jesus, you are our living hope. We have living hope in Jesus Christ alone for the redemption, for Him buying us back. So Jesus was willing to pay the price. Jesus was willing to save us. Because we needed that rescue and there's nothing we could do. And, and just like Boaz, he was more than willing to pay this price to provide for Ruth and to give her this, this promise of provision. He was going to go check and see if, if he could be the Redeemer. She also first, I mean, he knew this. Like, he knew, oh, first there's this person that's, closer in line than, than I am. And so if he knew this, that means that either he just knows a lot of things or he did some homework. And if he did some homework, then maybe he was, was thinking about it. Should I be her redeemer? And, but, but he didn't make the first move. She did. She had to go to him. She had to seek him out. She had to be vulnerable. She brought her need to her Redeemer. And Jesus is more than willing to provide an eternal home for us, to live, that we would live with Him, not just for forever, but for now, now and forevermore. But we had to come to Jesus. Yes, He paid the price, but we have to come to Jesus and we have to say, yes, I choose to accept your forgiveness of my sin. Yes, I choose that you are my guardian redeemer, my re redeemer of my, of my sins. That you will save me. That you have saved me. I know a lot of people say, well, Jesus died for, this, for everyone. And that's true. But then why don't all people go to heaven? Why don't all people, why aren't all people saved? 
if Jesus saves everyone, because not all accept his free gift of salvation. Each person has to admit, because I'm a sinner, I need a Savior. And I can't earn salvation on my own. I can't go to the Father a different way. Only through the way, the truth, and the life of Jesus. We need to believe that Jesus, He didn't, he didn't just live a perfect life, but He was the Son of God. And yes, He did live a perfect life, relying on the Father. But in His own humanity, He made the decisions. He chose how to live. He chose to say no to things that we fall into temptation and say yes to sometimes. Jesus is the only way to the Father. He calls us to confess our sins. And not just say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, sorry, sorry. Sometimes that's what I hear in my household. Sorry, sorry, sorry. So they don't get the consequence. If we just say, sorry, 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 that's not really going to do much. But we say, I'm sorry, Jesus. Thank you for forgiving me. I ask you to, to, to forgive me. And that's the easiest prayer because Jesus always says yes. But if we're asking Jesus to forgive us of our sins, we don't just keep going back and doing the same thing. We don't just keep saying, oh, well, he forgives me, so now I'll just, I'll just, do, I'll just live the, the way I want to live. Now, yes, we are still going to stumble. We are still going to sin. But if we're trying to sin and not really caring about Jesus, that's abusing his grace. And I would say if we're abusing God's grace, we need to check our hearts. Are we even, do we even really fully believe that we have Jesus, that we are trusting Jesus, that he's the Lord and Savior of our life, that we want to abide in him? Do we just want a ticket to heaven or do we want a relationship with Jesus? Because if we just want to avoid hell, but, I mean, that's good. We, we, nobody wants to go to hell. But if we just want to avoid hell and we don't really care about Jesus, that's, there's a problem there. <laughs> there's a big problem. Because hell is the place where Jesus isn't. And heaven is the place where Jesus is. And not just like he's over there somewhere. He's everywhere. He's like the reason that there's heaven. So if, if you picture heaven and you don't picture Jesus, that's probably not heaven. Actually, I'm going to say it's not heaven because Jesus is everything about heaven. And that doesn't mean we're just sitting in the clouds and, and singing songs all the time. No, heaven is going to be this amazing, amazing place because it's where Jesus lives. It's where Jesus interacts with us and there's no more sin and no more death there's no more pain and there's no more sorrow. And we're not just kind of escaping these bad things, but we're with our Savior, our Redeemer. And we don't have to like try to block out everything to spend time with Jesus. We don't have to like wonder what He's saying. No, He's right there with us. But in the meantime, let's live for Jesus, with Jesus, knowing that He's our, our Redeemer. If we've accepted Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins, then let's be alive. Let's be fully on board with what He wants. 
let's say, just like Ruth in verse 5, I will do mostly whatever you say. No, I will do whatever you say. Let's live with Jesus as the Master, with Jesus as the, our Lord, let's, as Jesus being our Redeemer, the only one that saves. So my question to each of us today is what is your response? What is my response to Jesus, the Redeemer? Well, let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the cross where you suffered and died. But Jesus, we thank you that you came out of the grave and that you are alive and that you call us to come out of the grave. You call us to life. You call us to freedom. You call us to be dependent on you. We thank you for the, your promise of provision for us, that you redeem us. And Lord, I pray if there's, if there's anyone here or anyone watching or listening that doesn't know you, Jesus, that doesn't have that promise, that doesn't have your life, Lord, I pray that you would show them that you are love, that you are life, and there's nothing else that's greater. There's nothing else that can compete with you, Jesus. My Lord, I pray that you would bring people to you. Help us to confess our sins to you, not just one time, but every time, every day, that we would be abiding in you, Lord, that you, your spirit would be showing us your way of love convicting us of sin and showing us the way that you want us to live. Thank you that you give us life. Thank you that you are the only Redeemer, the one that saves. Bring us to you, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.